Well, hey, church, it's, it's great to worship with you today, whether you're here in person or whether you are with us online. I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Uh, it, was, it was, even though it was just two days ago, we're still in the Christmas spirit, we're still in the Christmas season, and so if you haven't been able to watch your favorite Christmas movies, there's still time. And as I've been reflecting recently on some of my favorite Christmas movies, I've been especially struck by how, how they capture the Christmas spirit, especially in the way that these movies end. Now, you know that in every good story, there's an original goodness in, in which some problem arises and conflict develops. And eventually, the, that story reaches a climax and then it ends with a resolution. And as I've been thinking about Christmas movies this year, I've, I've been, uh, I, what's, what stood out to me is how much they all have a happy ending. And this ending is, is, uh, is even better than the way it began. Uh, what, was, what, was, what, was, what the problem was, it was resolved, and what was lost was restored. And things get better than they ever become before everywhere before. So, some spoiler alerts. Movie spoiler alerts. The Grinch, the Grinch is warmly welcomed back into Whoville. The children receive their presents back, and the Grinch's heart grows three sizes. George Bailey has everything he's lost restored. He's surrounded by his family and friends who love him dearly, and he gains a new perspective as he realizes it really is a wonderful life. Kevin McAllister, he defends the home by outwitting the wet bandits. He, uh, he receives his family back. And Kevin and his family, they also each realize how much they really appreciate the other. And Ralphie Parker, in A Christmas Story, finally gets his Red Rider carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock. Now, what is it about these endings that we love so much? Now, on, on, on a very basic level, we might just say, oh, it's because they have a happy ending. But on a deeper level, I think what this, what this says is that we long for a happy ending, an ending where the conflict is over, where what was lost is restored, and where Goodness prevails more than ever before. Now, I want us to consider not just these stories, not just these well-known Christmas movies, but also the stories of our own lives. And I think the reason why, why we love these Christmas stories so much is because they remind us in some ways of the conflicts we face. And we especially love the endings of these movies because they touch something in us about how we want our own stories to end. Now, I would say that this even extends beyond our own individual stories into the story of the world. And so what will the, what will the ending of the story of creation look like? Well, if you've been with us for the last number of weeks, you know that we've been doing a series on heaven called, What Are We Waiting For?, and this series has coincided with Advent, where we remember not only what Jesus did when he came in his first coming at Christmas, 
but also when we look forward to the day when Jesus will return and bring the story of creation to its grand resolution. And this week, is, this week, this Sunday, is not just the end of the year, but it's also the end of this sermon series. And today, we will see that heaven is the happy ending creation longs for. Heaven is the happy ending creation longs for. So it's only fitting that we turn to the end of the Bible, and we will be looking at Revelation 21 and 22 to see that heaven is a happy ending creation longs for. So please stand with me, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in Revelation 21, and we're going to begin in verse 22. Hear the word of the Lord. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, heaven is the happy ending creation longs for. But what does this ending have in store? Now, the first thing that it has in store is the happiness of prosperity. Now, Please understand me, when I say prosperity, I'm not referring to the idea that Christians in this life ought to be characterized by health and wealth and the absence of suffering, or that these things must be claimed by faith, or that prosperity in this life is the primary way that God signals whom he has chosen to bless. That would be false, and that would also be idolatry. What I am saying is that in heaven there will be no place for things that cause disease or scarcity or suffering because all things will be made new. For now, we live in a fallen, broken world. But one day when Christ returns, God will make everything new and cause creation to flourish. And so the first thing that heaven has in store is the happiness of prosperity. And as the saying goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. So Revelation speaks in pictures, in images that communicate with more texture and greater richness than words could ever communicate. 
And in particular, in this passage, we see the riches and prosperity of the nations of the earth. We can trace this idea at least as far back as Genesis 12, where God promised to Abraham that, his, that through his family, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. And we know that in Jesus, this has in some way been, been fulfilled, that all the nations have been blessed through Abraham's family in the person of Jesus. But in the future heavens and, and earth, this blessing will be realized in its fullest sense, this, will be a, this is a holistic blessing that even extends to economic prosperity. Look again at verses 24 through 27. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The nations of the earth in heaven will prosper, and the distinctive treasures of each nation will be abundantly available. Now, if you've ever traveled abroad before, I'm sure you've experienced something of the, the wonderful uniqueness of that culture. Now, th think about, the, think about the, the, the beautiful worldwide diversity of cultures that will be present in heaven. Think about the, the technology and the arts and the, the dress and the architecture and the music and the food that will be in heaven and on and on and on. Just imagine all of the delicious tacos Reed will eat one day in heaven, if you can, if you can. Now, in our, in our world today, so many of the things that have the greatest potential for good, so many of the things that the nations treasure, can often also be used to, to do the greatest harm. For example, an, an airplane can transport goods, and it can reunite you with your family and bring you across the globe in a manner, matter of hours. But it can also be used as a weapon that causes suffering and destruction. But in heaven, it won't be like that. Because this passage shows us that these gifts that have been used or could be used by, by the forces of darkness and for dark purposes will one day be purified by the light. What was formerly used for evil will be recycled and repurposed for good. In the ancient world, Cities had, cities had walls and they had gates, and these gates would be shut at night for protection, to protect and guard against any danger that would be lurking in the night. But in this city, there will be no night. There will be nothing to threaten its well-being, nothing to cause danger, nothing that needs to be defended against. Can you imagine what it would be like if all of the resources that we personally and we as, as nations, if all of the resources that we spend to defend and protect ourselves could instead be used to uh, promote the flourishing of ourselves and our communities and our, our countries. In heaven, there will be no more illnesses or disease, no more greed, no more poverty, it will be a place where people and nations will live safely and in prosperity. 
Heaven will be filled with the happiness of prosperity. But that's not all of the happiness of heaven because the second thing is the happiness of goodness restored. The happiness of goodness restored. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, if you've, if you've ever read or heard the opening pages of the Bible before, you will probably notice that the, these ending pages of the Bible look familiar. Because in, in Genesis 1 and 2, we read about how God created the, the heavens and the earth and how he planted a lush garden on the earth and he, he put a river that ran through it that brought life and, to the garden and watered it. He placed a, the tree of life in the garden and everything was flourishing. And humanity was instructed to work and care for the garden and was given free access to the tree of life. God saw that everything he created was good. And, and when God saw and created humanity, he blessed them. And this is the original goodness of creation's story. But we know from, from the words of Scripture and from our daily experience that this is not, that, not the world that we live in anymore. We know when we look around that creation is, is, is be- both beautiful but also broken. A place of delight, but there's also a lot of suffering. And we, just as our, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, fell from this original goodness, so we also have followed in their steps. And all of creation has been tragically affected. When sin entered our world, a curse came with it. And only with great difficulty are we able to provide for ourselves. We, we suffer when we feel this, this pain in some ways every day. And even, even one of the most joyful experiences that, that there is, the, the birth of someone's child happens through incredible pain. And so our world has continued, generation after generation after generation in its groaning. As the saying goes, life is hard, and then you die. But the good news is that the climax of creation's story has come in Jesus. The plot arc has taken a hard turn for good. Heaven lies before us, and the best is yet to come. And so as the Bible begins with a lush garden, so it ends with images of a thriving garden city. Revelation speaks of this happy ending with familiar images of the river that runs through this garden city, sustaining its life. And the tree of life is there again, allowing us to live forever with God and with one another in joy. But this isn't just, this isn't just a, a original restoration. This is, this is even better than it will be before. We won't, we won't experience guilt or shame because of what we have done or because of what others have done. The frustration of work will be gone. We'll, ex- we'll instead uh, experience our work as a delight. There won't be strife anymore between people. 
women, there won't be pain of childbirth. We'll have full hearts. We'll be completely free to enjoy life without being hindered in any way by sin or brokenness. And it will be as the song Joy to the World describes when it says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found. And creation will experience this happiness of goodness restored. And it will be even better than it was before. It won't just be good as new, it will be better than new. The river will be bright as crystal. The tree will have 12 kinds of fruit. You can, you can access the tree from both sides of the river. It won't just be a garden, it will be a garden city. As our favorite Christmas movies show us, we long for an ending that is even more glorious than the beginning. And these movies resonate with us because they reflect the story of creation and the story that we long for. So we've seen that in heaven, uh, the happy ending creation longs for, we will have the happiness of prosperity and the happiness of goodness restored. But the best and the happiest part of heaven will be the happiness of life with God. In heaven, there will be no mistaking what the source of all of this happiness and blessing is. Our greatest happiness will be God himself in our lives with him. At Christmas, we remember when Jesus, the light of the world, was born into our dark world. But the second advent is when Jesus and his kingdom are fully extended over all creation. We look at, ahead to his second advent when this light of the world will extinguish every speck of darkness in creation. Now, if you're going to shine, if you're going to shine a bright light where there is darkness, you're going to need a lamp. Now, the source from which this light shines is the lamp. And the more you look to the lamp, the more light you see. Now look at what it says in verse 23. It says, The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. What dispels the darkness and makes the sun and moon obsolete? The glory of God. But where do we see the glory of God shining like a lamp, even brighter than the sun? The lamb. Now, I know, I know, this is, a, this is a weird, this is a strange image. Hang with me, though, because this is, this is a really profound truth, and we often have, uh, may have a hard time getting our minds around it. But what, what this is saying is that the way Jesus is victorious in life was by giving himself to death. The place where the glory of God shone brighter than ever before was the cross on which Jesus hung in darkness. And the way that Jesus is mighty as a lion was by his suffering as a lamb. And so in this mixed metaphor of a shining lamb that illuminates a garden city, we see that every ounce of heaven's happiness comes because of what 
God has done in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This This is amazing. This is amazing. This is the focal point of all of creation's story, of all of history, that secures the happy ending of the resolution in heaven. This glory of the Lamb will endure forever with us in heaven. As Reed put it last week in his sermon, the gift of heaven is Jesus, and we will be with him in his presence forever in heaven. The fullness of his joy will be ours, and there will not be any barrier. There will be nothing to stand in the way. You see what verse 4 says? Chapter 22, verse 4, it says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. You might be wondering, well, whose face will they see? Will they see God's face, or will they see the Lamb's face? And the passage doesn't specify, because that's, and that's precisely because to see the Lamb's face is to see God's face. And to see God is to see the Lamb. Just as to look at a lamp is to see light. Now, seeing faces is something that we have come to appreciate this year more than ever. As I look around, I, can't, I, can't, I can only see some of your faces. And if we can't see each other's faces, we are missing out on a significant opportunity for relational connection. But when you see someone's face, when you look someone in the eyes, you are able to connect with them on a deeper relational level. And when you are face-to-face with someone you love and someone you are close to and you, f- you make eye contact with them and you, f- you feel their joy, it seems like all sorrow and all pain vanish from your mind. And to see God's face in all its holiness and glory would be to experience something so majestic, so overwhelming in its beauty, that if we were to see it now, our hearts would be completely undone, and we would be, our, our hearts would burst at it. But on that day, in heaven, when we are made new, we will be able to see God's face in all its glory. As the psalmist declares, in your presence there is fullness of joy. On that day, God and the Lamb will fully belong to us, and we will fully belong to Him. Our hearts will be more full than we ever imagined possible. And in every activity we do, we will enjoy the presence and the goodness of God and live forever with Him. This is the happy ending creation longs for. So how should we live with this end in view? Now, the first thing, here's some ideas. And the first thing I want to suggest is that we hope in the goodness of God. Because in Even in the most epic stories, characters encounter moments where they are tempted to give up and lose hope. When things don't seem like they could ever get any better, and that holding out until the end isn't even worth the trouble. And we too feel this temptation in our lives, in our experiences. Sometimes we, some of us feel the weight and the brokenness of this world more acutely than others, but we all feel it. There's moments when, if we're honest, we wonder if God still cares. 
If he's good, why doesn't he do something about it? And we begin to lose heart. This passage reminds us, in, in the words of Revel, Romans 8.28, God, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This passage in Revelation was written to strengthen our hearts and to help us persevere and hope in the goodness of God. The second thing I want to suggest that we take from this passage is that we can prepare, prepare ourselves for this happy ending. In heaven, there will be no darkness. There will be nothing unclean. And I wonder what would happen if we began to prepare ourselves for this now. What if we shined a light into the recesses of our lives? What corners need to be illuminated by the light of Jesus? What uncleanness needs to be purified? If there is no place for these things in heaven, why not get rid of them now? And additionally, what, what possessions or abilities or gifts do we have that we can redeem? And how can we take what God has given us and give it back to him as an act of worship to him? Maybe that looks like some kind of generosity. Or maybe it simply means seeing everything that you do as a way of honoring God and worshiping him. This this is, uh, this is the happiness we'll find in heaven. We can bring our lives into alignment with this and we can prepare ourselves for this end now. Which brings us to the final thing I want to suggest. And that is pursue the happiness of life with God now. We don't have to wait until the very end to find the happiness of life with God. Heaven has already broken into creation in the person of Jesus. This happiness of life with God can be experienced now. As we've been reminded this Advent season, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And as we seek to go about every activity, every part of our, of our day, in the knowledge that God is with us, his presence will begin to transform every aspect of our lives. And this happiness of life with God can grow in us and as we see all of our joys and all of our happinesses in life in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. And so as we live our lives with Jesus, we can experience a taste of the happiness and pleasure of heaven, even now. And while, while we will not be able to fully experience all of the joy of heaven until we get there, Neither has God completely hidden this and completely hidden his face from us either. As we've already seen, nowhere has God been more clearly seen than when Jesus gave of himself like the lamb that was sacrificed. And we remember this through partaking of the Lord's Supper. As we behold this, we are reminded both of Jesus' past humiliation and suffering, and death in our place, but also of the, the glory of, the, of the, his future return when he will come again and forever rule as a victorious lamb. Let's pray. God, we, 
We worship you for not abandoning your creation to its miserable end, but for giving us Jesus. We marvel at the glory of it all, and we long for the day when he returns to bring the happiness of heaven to earth and reigns forever as our greatest joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.